0: In this episode, learn more about the upcoming bond election.
1: From the heart of paradise, I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. And this is PVB.
0: And of course, in this special episode of PVB, we have Dr. Bales talking with Jill Berrigan today about the upcoming ever-important bond election.
1: Yeah, so this episode of the PVB podcast is only going to be State of the District. Uh, we have several community meetings to inform the community about the factual information about an upcoming bond, very important information For the community to be aware of so we have that all contained in this one episode
0: but of course before we get to that let's do our ads
1: today's podcast is brought to you by fall break pv schools as a reminder we're on fall break uh october 9th through october 13th
0: and college and career services is here to help your child figure out their next steps after graduation to learn more about post secondary pathway options join the next virtual college and career 101 presentation on November 8th, this presentation is geared specifically toward high school juniors.
1: And they have several of those presentations throughout the year.
0: Yeah. Um, so we don't have a lot of ads today because we really want to jump into our state of the district with Jill Berrigan and Dr. Troy Bales, who are going to talk about the upcoming bond election.
2: Hello, this is Troy Bales, proud superintendent of Paradise Valley Schools. And this afternoon, in our State of the District conversation, I welcome Jill Berrigan, our Assistant Superintendent for Business Operations. Good afternoon, Jill.
3: Good afternoon. Thanks for having me
2: back. This afternoon, we'd like to share a little bit of information about PV Schools Bond. This uh, bond presentation will be presented this afternoon and posted on our district webpage about the bond election. And uh, we'll go through this together, have an opportunity to share some information about the Arizona school funding formulas, what are bonds and overrides, how do bonds and overrides operate in PVSD, the tax implication, the bond usage, some very unique district data points, and of course, the process that brought us uh, to the bond election that will be held in November. So shall we begin? Let's do it. Tell us a little bit about Arizona school funding, Jill.
3: So in Arizona schools, the legislature primarily determines the amount of funding that we get per student. And in general, all districts get the same amount per student. If that student was in our school district or a neighboring school district, that amount per student would be approximately the same. And that number of the per-student funding that the legislature decides is multiplied times what's called our total weighted student count. And it's a little bit complicated, but the simple version is it's the number of students that we have enrolled in our school district. And some students are given a weight. Um, In particular, our students with special education needs uh, have weights associated with them that allow school districts to receive more in revenue for them than we would for a student that doesn't have special education needs. And that per student funding times the total weighted student count gives us what's called... A portion of our formula called the Revenue Control Limit, or the RCL, and that is the primary portion of the largest part of our budget of our maintenance and operation, or what we refer to as m uh, Bonds and overrides are additions to that funding formula, and those are paid for by local taxpayers, therefore they are voted on by our local taxpayers. And so that will be on the ballot this November for our PVUSD voters. Well, thank you. But tell us a little bit more about bonds and overrides. So bonds and overrides as mentioned are the voter approved initiatives and they give us additional revenue uh, for school districts for any unmet needs. Those come on the ballot in November. And the first one for bond authorization, that is based on a local property value. So we're limited to how much we can ask for our voters to bond based off of the local property value. And that's 20% for a unified school district like Paradise Valley. That local property value is not based on the actual resale Uh, value of a home, but what's called an assessed value of the home. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to taxes uh, in a few more uh, pieces here. Then you also have a maintenance and operation override, and that is up to 15% of that revenue control limit number that we talked about before. Remember, that's the Per student funding amount times the basically amount of students that you have. We can also do a maintenance and operation override for up to 15% of that RCL number. It's good for seven years, though that one does phase down by a third each year uh, of, of the last two years years six and seven. Then the final one is a district additional assistance override, and that one is up to 10% of the RCL. That's valid in full for seven years, and that's used for what are considered district additional assistance purposes, generally some capital needs, and we use ours primarily for uh, curriculum-related needs and some other transportation needs.
2: And Paradise Valley has previously approved all three of these. Correct, and
3: I talk a little bit more about those two coming up. So tell us a little bit more about why bonds are needed. So in Arizona the legislature uh, for a number of years has not met its constitutional obligations to public education and part of that comes from a lawsuit way back in uh, 1999 called Roosevelt v Bishop and we from that Arizona School Facilities Board was born. That was really only funded in the way that was initially envisioned for one year. And since then, the SFB now uses a grant program where districts have to write in, talk about their potential project, and hopefully get that accepted and and that grant awarded to them. But it's not nearly enough funding for all of the needs that are across our Arizona school districts for their capital funding needs. Additionally, the legislature reduced the district additional assistance from fiscal year eight, nine, so same fiscal year and school year are the same, all the way up through fiscal year 2021. And that was approximately $2.5 billion statewide. For PVUSD specifically, that was about $95 million for us that we will not see.
2: So tell us a little bit how bonds can be used.
3: So bonds, which is, you know, we're talking a little bit about some of the bonds and overrides, but just so people have a full understanding. However, a bond is what is on the ballot for this November, so we want to talk a little bit more about what they can be used for. Um, This isn't a comprehensive list. It includes most of the things, and these are the things that, in general, Paradise Valley has used its bonds for. So purchasing land if we need a new school, uh, new construction if we need a new school, and then renovations and improving schools school grounds, that's primarily what our bond is used for. The largest portion of our bond is used for renovating our 46 school sites and 13 administrative facilities, if if that's necessary as well. Then there's architect and engineering and fees that are associated with those costs that the bond can pay for. Um, We also do furniture for our schools, equipment and technology for our schools. And then very importantly, our pupil transportation vehicles, our yellow school buses. Big yellow buses. Big yellow buses.
2: (laughs) So tell us a little bit about if the bond, in this case November, and or, or overriding any other year, is not approved by the voters, but specifically the bond.
3: So uh, when a bond is not approved for a school district, then there may be some deficiencies in our buildings that we're not able to address. If we don't have the money to be able to do that, then we can't fix them. Um, we can sometimes apply for SFB grant funding, but that isn't you know always approved. And I believe very sincerely that it's our responsibility in the school district and and mine even very specifically to ensure that we're protecting our taxpayer assets. We have a very large asset in all of the buildings and grounds that we have, and we need to protect those. Additionally, we may not be able to build a new school or provide our students and staff the resources they need to have a positive learning environment if that's a renovation to a school site that we may or may not need. And we don't know that we'll need a new school, but we have included that potentially if we do need that in this bond. And while bond cannot be used for staff salaries and benefits, uh, we may have to consider readjusting our budget, and it could include layoff of employees, because if we don't have bond to take care of our capital needs in the district, we may have to reassess how we're using our district additional assistance funds. And currently, 90% of the state-allocated district additional assistance funds go towards m and which 85% of our m and budget funds staff salary and benefits. And so if we then have to use more of that district additional assistance funds for capital needs because we don't have bond, that could definitely have an effect on our day-to-day operations funds, which fund staff salaries and benefits. Then I would also just say consider what impact that has on not having the quality curb appeal, uh, nice buildings that schools have um, on the house and property values within the district. So
2: just going back to clarify a little bit, we have a declining enrollment district. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about not building the school if we don't need it. Um, We are a district that has a southern half that's declining and a northern half that has potential for growth. Um, And so the bond is an opportunity to authorize the sale of those bonds if needed. And we have said clearly that if it's not needed, we won't spend it. And so is there anything else we would want to add in clarification to that conversation?
3: Yeah, I would just reiterate that if, you know, we, as I mentioned, we did include in there a new school because we do have to delineate that in our bond pamphlet to our voters so that if we do happen to need a new school, it's been decided in in that by the voters. But if we don't need a new school, we won't sell the bonds for that. We won't use those funds for that purpose. And we'll wait until another bond if it might be needed at that time.
2: And we also have a renovation in there and land. We do. But We've been successful over the years uh, as a district working with developers to get land donated, Mm -hmm. but we have to have the authorization in there to to expend it should we not be successful in getting land donated.
3: Absolutely. You nailed it on the head.
2: And then last but not least, we talked a little bit about, you know, the the impact to the M&O budget if we don't have bond authorization to do the building maintenance repair and replace. The dollars that we receive from the states, roughly about $12 million, isn't Mm -hmm. it?
3: Mm -hmm. Yes.
2: And we put 90% of that towards salary and benefits. And so we don't have a lot of money left over for repair, replace, and renovate.
3: No, there's just a few million left for rep- repair, replace, and renovations to existing facilities. And when we're doing, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 million dollars of bond projects a year, we can see that a few million is not going to meet that need.
2: So, Paradise Valley has been successful in passing bonds and overrides over the last few years. As a matter of fact, we recently had a bond election just four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah,
3: we have an extremely supportive and gracious community, and we have a bond as well as both overrides. Our last bond was passed in November. Of 2019 for $236 million. And so this year the request is for the $340 million bond that will be on this November 7th ballot. And just a note to that that is an increase, obviously, in what we're asking for, and it has increased over the You know, time that we've been asking our community for bonds over 20 years. Um, But construction costs have increased significantly. We're seeing currently in projects anywhere between 20 to 40% increase. And the construction industry, whereas the increase each year used to be expected between 3 to 5%, is now 8 to 10%. And that's ongoing for the future. So not only do current projects cost us 20 to 40% more, future projects are going to continue to cost us each year another 8 to 10% on top of that. Then with the district additional assistance override, we have an annual approval for $6,410,000. It was also passed by our voters in November of 2019. And so we'd need to go back out to the ballot for that again no later than November of 2026 to continue that override. Uh, So we still have a few years left on that. then finally, last year, as you mentioned, November of 2022, um, our wonderful voters passed our 15% percent m override continuation, which is about $30 million annually. And again, because it's the m budget, the bulk of that is going to go to staff salaries and benefits. And we'd have to put that back to the ballot again no later than November of 2027 to continue a full 15% override. So how does this impact taxes? Okay, this, this one's my favorite topic. Uh, not everybody's favorite topic, but it's an important piece for our voters to be informed on and know about. Um, In 2019, the bond authorization cost us $0.48 per $100 of assessed value. Um, I'm going to do some math here that when you just hear it, it may not make a lot of sense. So I would encourage people to go look at the slide on this one and make sure they follow it. For 2023, that estimated bond authorization is going down by just a penny, so call it the same amount, at $0.47 per $100 of assessed value. So if we were to say for a simple number, an annual assessed value of a home is $100,000, again, Your assessed value is not going to be anywhere near what you would get if you put your house up for market. The assessed value is used just for tax purposes. So we'll start with the simple number of $100,000. With the $0.48 tax rate back in 2019, that would be a $48 annual amount that the taxpayer would pay for the bond. Since we're moving just to $0.47 tax rate, then it's $47 annually. Now, the average assessed value of property in the district back in 2019 was just under $246,000. So when you do the math on that, that would put the 2019 bond authorization for the average assessed value home to $118. Moving into 2023, our estimation is $140.02 per average assessed value home in 2023. And that average assessed value home in 2023 is about $298,000. So the rate is approximately the same, but because the assessed value of the average property in the district has gone up, then the total bill would be a little bit more. So from $118 to $140. And on the slide, you can go and see what that looks like as a breakdown per month and per day as well.
2: And just to clarify, once again, they, the market value of the homes in the city of Phoenix is somewhere between four hundred fifty and $470,000, but the assessed valuation is around 298000
3: That's correct. Assessed value is always going to be a little bit less. It's just used for tax purposes. You want it to be less for tax purposes. The Absolutely. higher that number, the the higher amount you'll pay.
2: So we have a long history of of bonds uh, in the district going back uh, quite a ways. Tell us a little bit about the bond history uh, and the voters voting patterns over the last number of years.
3: Absolutely. Starting back in 1999, We had a bond for just under $107 million. Our voters passed that at 68.5%. That means 68.5% of those who voted on our bond voted yes for the bond, nearly 70%. The next bond we did was in 2005, and that was just under $162 million. So you can see there was an increase there. That passed at 66.8%. And then we went to 2011 with another increase to the amount, $203 million, That passed at 58.7%. We saw lots of school districts passage rates decline in those years, 2010 to 2013 generally, as we were coming out of the recession. So that decrease in the passage rate or the yes rate was fairly consistent across school districts, particularly in Maricopa County, but even across the state. Uh, Then we moved to our four-year plan. So we went from 2011 to 2015, and we went to a $228 million bond, which passed at the same rate of 58.7%. Then four years later, the bond we're currently working on 2019 for $236 million, and that passed at 63%. So we start to see our bonds gain back some understanding from the community in terms of what that means for property values and things like that. And then obviously now we're asking for a $340 million bond.
2: So the bond uh, provides the opportunity and authorizes the district to do certain things. Remind us again what those things are we can do with the voter approval uh, should the bond pass.
3: So I would encourage anyone to look at their voter information pamphlet. Every uh, registered voter in Paradise Valley Unified School District will get one of those. Um, and you can look at things in more detail. But just so you know, that's repairing Uh, replacing and maintaining our aging facilities, building any new facilities, it only, again, only if we need to, to accommodate growth, and then buying furniture, equipment, technology, and school buses. So pretty simple, lots of things to do under all of those categories.
2: You mentioned aging facilities. I think we have some data points that are important to share with our community. As a district that's well over 100 years old, and we have 44 school sites, more than 26,000 students, and over 100 square miles. Tell us a little bit about some of the data points that reflect our aging
3: buildings. Absolutely, yes. We are a big district, and we have a lot of facilities accordingly. So we have five comprehensive high schools plus our Sweetwater High School, and the average age of our high school buildings is 37 years old. The average age of our seven middle schools is 32 years old. The average age of our elementary schools is 28 years old. And then we have our administrative support buildings. The average age of those is 30 years old. So we just think about your own home or any properties you may own. When they start to get into that age range, they need quite a bit of work done to them. And that's no different for our facilities. And we try to go at it from a maintenance and repair perspective so that we're not just replacing immediately, that we're extending the life of um, some of those systems.
2: we also have a pretty robust preventive maintenance program to extend the life of our buildings, don't we? Yes, we do. Some interesting things about inside our buildings. Tell us a little bit more. This is unique.
3: Yes. So we had our director of facilities and construction, Dr. Drew Davis, pull some data points that I think may help some people put things in perspective from the magnitude of things that we deal with in the school district. So on average, our high schools have about 341 plumbing fixtures. Our middle schools, on average, have about 114 plumbing fixtures, and then our elementary schools are at about 149. So if you multiply that across all of those schools, we're just under 7,500 plumbing fixtures in the district, and that doesn't even include our water fountains.
2: (laughs) And I think we have some plumbers on staff. We do. Um, We also have three vacancies, don't we? Yeah. it's It's a lot of work.
3: Yes, same with our HVAC systems.
2: Tell us a little bit more about lighting and bulbs in our district.
3: Okay, so lighting fixtures. At our high schools total, all five high schools, we probably have about 22, a little bit more than 22,000 lighting fixtures. At our seven middle schools, a little bit more than 15,000 lighting fixtures. And at our elementary schools, a little bit more than 30,000 for a total of about 68,000 in the district. In those lighting fixtures, there's bulbs and lamps, so when you multiply all of that out... We're at over 171,000 bulbs and lamps in the district. That's a lot of upkeep, repair. There's lights being replaced all day. (laughs) Every day.
2: And, of course, everybody's favorite topic, HVAC.
3: HVAC. It's becoming less of an issue as we start to cool off here in the Valley, but from July 1st through August 7th this year alone – we had 1,449 HVAC related work orders. Another place where we have three vacancies. And so sometimes we have to call out and get some uh, vendors to support us with that work. That's a large number of work orders. And we have over 4,500 HVAC units in this district. Just another piece to that, about 80% of our units are within their window of life expectancy or their lifespan. So again, we use that preventative maintenance and repair before we just try and replace something extend the life of those,
2: those Just units. changing the filters is a huge task, huge, isn't it? Huge task. So talking a little bit uh, for our viewers and listeners about the process, how did we get here? You know, the process began a year ago with members of your team mm-hmm. starting to take a look at a needs assessment in the district and kind of do their best guess about what are the needs of these aging facilities over the next four to six years and what do we need to do to maintain, repair, and or replace the needs in the district. I know they presented then to a superintendent's election committee the data from that needs assessment. That committee made up of stakeholders across the district, uh, reviewed the needs assessment, and together um, decided to move forward that conversation and presented that conversation to the governing board in terms of uh, reviews of the data. The governing board at a study session had a chance to ask questions, mm-hmm. uh, provide some information, and uh, along the way, this process included some community feedback. We had uh, two different surveys that we sent out to the community yep. to solicit their, their feedback on support or lack of support for a bond. And then finally come back, we share all of this information with the governing board in the spring. And by May, the governing board called for an election. And that election then will appear on the ballot this November. That process, then, is now in the hands of the voters, and so we leave it to them to tell us whether or not they can support a bond initiative on the November ballot. We uh, have this presentation posted on the district website, uh, along with information about bond dollars at work, so our viewers and listeners can see and hear how we are spending the taxpayer's dollars, and we invite you to do that. Of course, we also have an FAQ that will be presented up there, so frequently asked questions are posted. And so if you have any that you'd like to send to us, please do so. That concludes our presentation and State of the District for today.
1: For more information about the upcoming bond election, visit pvschools.net forward slash bond. And if you'd like to submit any questions uh, to potentially be included in the Frequently Asked Questions section of that webpage, you can reach out to PV Schools um, by clicking the Contact Us button at the bottom of our website.
0: So, Matt, that's been our podcast. It was a little bit unique today because it was, again, just geared toward the bond information. But for more, you can go to pvschools.net or...
1: You can also find the district on social media by searching at PV Schools. Make sure to support student success by liking, commenting, and sharing.
0: And as always, you can support the pod by rating us on Apple and Spotify and sharing new episodes on social media and a platform of your choice.
1: That was the episode. We'll see you next time.